Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is March 17, 2020, and uh, it's going to be a busy, busy, busy news cycle. I'm expecting that um, soon we will see the media backtrack on the coronavirus epidemic, calling it not that bad. Maybe, maybe, depends if they're all saved for some reason, but also because they do not want President Trump to be president forever. Because, you know, if we actually have martial law, mm, that means he can be president forever. <laughs> so I just thought I'd make a mention of that. That was pretty interesting um, to uh, mm, identify. But uh, I wanted to start off with us listening to our president live right now. Obviously, I'm going to start it from the beginning where he, again, without the presidential seal on his podium since Friday, no presidential seal on the podium, he puts out uh, an update on coronavirus. Where's being made? And I appreciate you all joining us. Last night, the FDA announced groundbreaking new policies to further increase, very substantially so. All states can now authorize tests developed and used within their borders in addition uh, to the FDA. So uh, the states are very much involved. They have been involved from the beginning, but uh, we're stepping it up as much as we can. And the testing procedures are going well. Uh, and within a short period of time, all of the private labs will kick in. This has never been done before, and it's uh, it's going to be something uh, very – I think it's going to be incredible if it's done properly. And these are great companies. These are among the greatest companies in the world, actually. So the state's going to be dealing uh, uh, through themselves and with uh, local government, local physicians, local everybody. They're also dealing with us. But we have a tremendous uh, testing capacity. Today, we're also announcing a dramatic expansion of our Medicare telehealth services. Medicare patients can now visit any doctor by phone or video conference at no additional cost, including with commonly used services like FaceTime and Skype, a historic breakthrough. This has not been done before either. In addition, states have the authority to cover telehealth services for their medical patients. And by doing this, the patient is not seeing the doctor per se, but they're seeing the doctor, so there's no getting close. During this time, we will not enforce applicable HIPAA penalties so that doctors can greatly expand care for their patients using telehealth, so the penalties won't be enforced. We encourage everyone to maximize use of telehealth to limit exposure to the virus. It's been a very successful uh, method of communication, but never used on a on a scale like we're going to use a telehealth. And uh, you'll be able to uh, also better maintain hospital capacity by doing this. Earlier this morning, I spoke with executives from America's fast food industry, Wendy's, McDonald's, uh, all of the, uh, the big ones, uh, Burger King, uh, and they were great. Uh, we're talking about uh, the pickups in light of yesterday's guidance you heard. 
to avoid eating or drinking at bars, restaurants, or public food courts. We discussed the important role that the drive-through pickup and delivery service play in the weeks ahead. So that's uh, happening, and uh, they have been fantastic. They have been absolutely fantastic, and they've been doing it already. But uh, they're keeping it open, and uh, smaller staffs, very capable people, and very capable companies, and they're doing it. Pickups. Our guidance yesterday urges Americans to take action for 15 days to help stem the outbreak. So it's a 15-day period. I guess uh, now would say it's a 14-day period. It's 15 days from yesterday, and we're asking everyone to work at home if possible, postpone unnecessary travel, and limit social gatherings to no more than 10 people. By making shared sacrifices and temporary changes, we can protect the health of our people, and we can protect our economy, because our economy will come back very rapidly. So it's 15 days from yesterday. We'll see what happens after that. If we do this right, uh, our country and, and the world, frankly, but our country can be rolling again pretty quickly, pretty quickly. We have to fight that invisible uh, enemy that, uh, I guess, unknown, but we're getting to know it a lot better. Today, the Senate has taken up coronavirus legislation that includes free testing for those who need it, as well as paid sick leave and family medical leave for workers affected by the virus. We're also committed to getting small businesses the support that they need. In fact, one of the uh, things we talked about with the fast food operations, we spoke to the uh, chairman and CEOs of all of the companies, but one of the things we discussed is exactly that, getting small businesses support and flexibility that they need for themselves and for their workers, and that's being worked on right now. At my direction, Secretary Mnuchin is meeting today with senators on additional stimulus packages. I can tell you he is meeting with them late until the night last night and uh, for a big part of the day yesterday, and uh, tremendous things are happening. There's great spirit, tremendous spirit, and I can say that for Republicans and Democrats. Uh, I can say that with respect to Governor Cuomo, we had a great talk this morning. We're both doing a really good job, uh, and we're coordinating it. And we agree, you know, different states uh, need different things, and we uh, we agree on that 100 percent. But we had a very good talk, and I think we're right down the same track, and it's going to be very successful. New York has a uh, pretty big problem, I guess, would be the number one hot spot. It's no fault of anybody. It's uh, just the way it is. But we're working very closely together. We're also getting FEMA very much involved. They've been involved, but now we're getting them to a different level. And uh, we'll have everything ready. We're dealing with the Army Corps of Engineers, should that be necessary. We have them uh, working in some cases on standby in other cases. But my conversation with Andrew Cuomo uh, was a very, very productive one and a very good one. I appreciate that. Uh, we're giving uh, relief to affected industries and small businesses, and we're ensuring that we emerge from this challenge with the prosperous and growing economy, because that's what's going to happen. It's going to pop. One day we'll be standing possibly up here. We'll say, well, we won. And we're going to say that. Sure as you're sitting there, we're going to say that. And we're going to win. And I think we're going to win faster than people think, I hope. Later today, I'll meet with the leaders from the tourism industry, as well as industrial supply retailers and wholesalers, to discuss their critical roles. As you know, I met with the department store people, all of the retailers, the big ones, including Walmart and others. And it was a great meeting. They're stocking up their stores like they've never stocked them before. 
We're trying to get people to actually buy less, if that's possible. Buy less. Uh, don't take everything. Just buy what you need for a while. It's, they're going to stay open uh, all hours of the day, and uh, they've really been they've been fantastic. We're taking aggressive action now as one nation and one family so that America can rebound stronger, frankly, stronger than ever before. And we recognize that while many American workers can work from home, many others cannot. Many of our health care providers, first responders, and men and women in the food service and manufacturing are showing that uh, they're showing up and standing up to provide us with the goods and services we need. So we want people to stay home where they can. But in many cases, when you talk about food service and manufacturing uh, certain items in particular, uh, they are they're going in and they're practicing all of the safety rules and regulations that we talk about. So with that, I'd like to uh, just introduce our great vice president, Mike Pence. He'll say a few words and then I'll make some other introductions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. President. Good morning. It should be very clear to the. We're going to skip over to the good part. Hold on, because it's already live right now. And so we're going to get right here. There we go. It's the part that they everybody screened, wants to uh, hear. Thousands and thousands of people. Uh, O'Hare got backed up, but a uh, little bit, but uh, uh, they got him out. And but everybody was screened and screened very carefully. They didn't want to rush it. Uh, I think it was 13 airports, and uh, it was it was an incredible thing. Then they had a big surge also from uh, the UK and Ireland, and uh, that went very smoothly. But they did a fantastic job. They worked long hours, and they did a fantastic job. Uh, I'd like to introduce Steve Mnuchin, and then I'm going to ask Steve to leave because uh, he's going to the Hill. Uh, he's been working very hard with the Senate and with actually with the House on a very, very uh, big, bold package. It's going to be big and it's going to be bold. And the uh, level, again, of enthusiasm to get something done, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. So, uh, Steve Mnuchin, please. Thank you, Mr. President. I'd like to announce some very significant actions that the President has approved today. The first I would say is earlier today, I sent a letter to Fed Chairman Powell approving his request to use 13.3. And what that will do is uh, the Fed will be setting up a special purpose vehicle, which the Treasury will invest $10 billion in from one of our funds. That will enable the Fed to guarantee the purchase of A1 P1 commercial paper going forward. That is a $1 trillion market and is critical to American workers. It's critical to American business. And it's critical to American savers who have a lot of that money in money market funds. So we heard loud and clear there were liquidity issues. This is very significant and will create, uh, I don't think we'll need to use it all, but we have the ability to have the Fed purchase up to $1 trillion of commercial paper as needed. That has already created significant stability in the market today. The second thing I would say is, you know, we've previously talked about uh, deferring IRS payments. The president earlier this morning uh, authorized me to announce this program. I have previously announced we would defer $200 billion. The president suggested we increase that to $300 billion, which we'll be, we will be doing. Now, let me just be clear on the specifics. 
We encourage those Americans who can file their taxes to continue to file their taxes on April 15th because for many Americans, you will get tax refunds. And we don't want you to lose out on those tax refunds. We want you to make sure you get them. Many people do this electronically, which is easy for them and easy for the IRS. Uh, if you owe a payment to the IRS, you can defer up to a million dollars as an individual. And the reason why we're doing a million dollars is that covers lots of pass-throughs and small businesses and $10 million to corporations, interest-free and penalty-free for 90 days. All you have to do is file your taxes. You'll automatically uh, not get charged interest and penalties. Now, of course, any American has the right to extend their taxes. We're not taking that are right, but the president has asked us to go up to $300 billion. That's also an enormous amount of liquidity in the system. Uh, the third thing is the president and I worked on a very significant economic stimulus plan. Thank you for being available last night and throughout this morning, and I will be presenting that to the Republicans in the Senate this morning and uh, also discussing that with the House. Uh, we look forward to having bipartisan support. We're now working with the Senate to pass this legislation very quickly. And these will be payments to small businesses. Uh, we've talked about loan guarantees so to critical industries such as airlines and hotels. And we've also talked about a stimulus package to the American worker. Uh, you can think of this as something like business interruption payments for the American workers. Thank you. Do you have any questions for the Secretary of the Treasury? When you say a stimulus package for American workers, do you mean direct payments to Americans, or are you talking about a payroll tax holiday? Um, although the President likes the idea of the payroll tax holiday, I will tell you what we've heard from many people, and the President has said we can consider this. The payroll tax holiday would get people money over the next six to eight months. We're looking at sending checks to Americans immediately. And what we've heard from hardworking Americans, many companies have now shut down, whether it's bars or restaurants. Americans need cash now, and the President wants to get cash now. And I mean now in the next two weeks. How much? Uh, I will be previewing that with the Republicans. There's some numbers out there. They may be a little bit bigger than what's in the press. Go ahead, please. Please, wait. Please. Uh, what help are you going to give to airlines specifically? We've, I've had discussions with all the airline CEOs this week. Um, the airline CEOs have had conversations with the Senate and the House. As the President said, I was up with a subset of the Republican senators last night. I've discussed that with them. I think, as you know, this is worse than 9-11. For the airline industry, this is, uh, they, they are almost ground to a halt. The president wants to make sure that although we don't want people to travel unless it's critical, we want to maintain for critical travel the right to have domestic travel. $60 million, is that I'm not going to comment on the specifics. I will tell you, we're very focused. There's a lot of workers. This is strategically important to us, and we'll be working with Congress on this. The airline industry will be in good shape. Yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, there's been talk about $1,000 checks to every American, increasing support among Republicans and some Democrats for that. Would you support that going to everyone, or would you support some sort of income restriction on who gets a check? Well, I think it's clear. We don't need to send people who make a million dollars a year checks, okay? But uh, we like, that's one of the ideas we like. Uh, we're going to preview that today, and then we'll be talking about details afterwards. Well, I think, I think we're going to do something that gets money to them as quickly as possible. 
Uh, that may not be an accurate way of doing it, because obviously some people shouldn't be getting checks for $1,000. And uh, we'll have a pretty good idea by the end of the day what we're going to be doing. Mr. Secretary, Mr. Secretary, yeah, John, can you tell how, how would the mechanics of this work? I mean, we've been talking about a payroll tax holiday, uh, some $500 billion worth was floated to me today. But So how would this idea of sending people to check work? Would you... Would that be sort of advance on what they would pay in payroll taxes? Again, uh, we want to make sure Americans get money in their pockets quickly. We want to make sure small business owners have access to funds. We want to make sure that hotels, airlines, we have an entire package. We'll be laying out those details later today. Uh, yeah, I have to say this. There are four different ways you can do it. That's okay. Four, you can hear me well enough, I imagine. Thank you, Sorry. Okay. Uh, oh, people at home, you're right. Those are very important people, come to think of it, especially your people. Uh, look, we have four or five ways we can do it, four ways in particular. I think there's a fifth possibility, but there are some very good ways of uh, getting the money out and getting it out quickly. Uh, payroll tax is one way, but it does come over a period of months, many months, and we want to do something much faster than that. So I think we have ways of getting money out pretty quickly and very accurately. Okay? Can you talk about the timeline, please? How quickly do you think you can get this done? The, the, pre the president has instructed me we have to do this now. So this is now. By the end of the week? We are going to work with the Senate, who's in session right now, actively. Uh, we will continue to have conversations with the House. I've already spoken to Speaker Pelosi once today. This is stuff that needs to be done now. The President has instructed me that this is no fault to American workers. For medical reasons, we are shutting down parts of this economy, and we're going to use all the tools we have, as I've said, and what tools we don't have, we're going back to Congress. I, I got to go back to. Uh, billion to those who might be concerned that's too expensive. We don't want to talk about it, but it's a substantial number. We're going big. The expression, we could do it two ways. We could keep going back every day or every week. Uh, we're going big. And uh, that's where uh, Mitch McConnell, that's the way he wants to go. That's the way I want to go. I think we want to get it done and uh, have a big infusion as opposed to going through little uh, meetings every every couple of days. We don't want to do it that way. We want to go big, go solid. The country is very strong. We've never been so strong, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing. We don't want, uh, with this invisible enemy, we don't want airlines going out of business. We don't want people losing their jobs or not having money to live when they were doing very well just four weeks ago. So we're going big, and that's the way it'll be, and that's the way everybody seems to like it on the Hill. Any other questions for Steve? In addition to airlines and hotels, um, you had a call with restaurants today. Was any type of emergency assistance discussed on that call? A lot of restaurants have to close. Even if they are doing delivery, they're not making as much money as they would with a full house. Well, let me make two comments on, on the restaurants, and uh, the President understands this. This was emphasized this morning. First of all, we want to make sure that the states allow the drive-through portion of these fast foods to stay open, particularly in a time period where we're telling people don't go to restaurants. These companies feed a big part of America, and I expect they're going to feed a bigger part of America. The second thing they asked me to emphasize, I wasn't going to do it now, but as long as you asked, many of these companies have apps. You can order ahead of time. That way, when you get there, it's as simple as they'll have it packed. They can give it to you with social distancing, and it'll be very fast. So we expect that they will be able to feed a large part of the population. Um, and in regards to 
support, I will say a lot of these businesses are small businesses, are companies, franchisees, 500 or less, and we have a specific program we'll be unveiling that uh, helps all businesses, small and medium-sized businesses of 500 and less. Secretary, also a question regarding uh, Marriott Corporation. It announced that it is furloughing thousands of individuals because of the impacts of the uh, coronavirus. Will your legislation help those individuals? I hope so. That's one of the reasons why we got to act very quickly, because we understand whether it's the airlines, hotels, for good reasons to protect the United States on medical issues. Uh, these businesses are shut down and the president wants to make sure, as I've said, we will use all the powers we have. You saw this today, trillion dollars of potential liquidity into the market and the powers we don't have, we're going to Congress. And I will say there's a lot of bipartisan support for these issues. So I, I'm going to apologize because I have to go deal with some other things, but that's okay, Mr. President. Thanks, sir. Oh, yeah. I, I, this I, I do want to comment on this, okay? Um, we absolutely believe in keeping the markets open, okay? Americans need to know they have access to their money. Uh, after September 11th, the only reason why the markets were closed was because the technology was disrupted. I've been on the phone with the major banks, with the New York Stock Exchange. Everybody wants to keep it open. We may get to a point where we shorten the hours if that's something they need to do, but Americans should know that we are going to do everything to make sure that they have access to their money at their banks, to the money in their 401ks, and to the money in, in stocks. So I want to just be very clear, uh, we intend to keep the markets open. And the banks are record-setting strong, so we have, uh, we have that, which is a much different event than what we had uh, not so long ago. John, go ahead. Please. Mr. President, you mentioned the Army Corps of Engineers. Right. Uh, you've had a conversation with Governor Cuomo. Right. He believes that New York is going to run out of hospital beds. Are you prepared to mobilize the well, Army we've Corps been asked to, to we increase were, capacity? Yes, we're starting to. We're starting the process, and it's a process. We hope it's not going to be necessary, but it could be necessary. Uh, the state is working on it very hard themselves, but we'll probably supplement what they're doing. And, and given, given that many of the precursors for our pharmaceuticals come from China, and there have been, uh, there have been supply disruption, uh, that supply chain has been broken to some degree, do you expect that we could run into a shortage of prescription drugs? No, I don't see that at all, and I think China has every uh, uh, incentive to make sure that things work well. Uh, China wants to make sure that things work very well. They have every incentive to do so. John? Mr. President, the governor of Ohio has called off the election that was supposed to happen today, the primary election. Do you agree with that decision? And what steps are you taking to ensure that elections going forward, if this pandemic uh, continues, that elections will be able to happen, including, of course, the big one in the fall? Well, the governor of Ohio is doing a great job. Uh, he called that off, and uh, we'll see what happens. There's a court case, and it hasn't been fully determined yet. Uh, but if he called it off, I could understand that, because, you know, he, he's definitely somebody that knows what he's doing. We'll be seeing what very soon. Uh, you know, they're going by the rule of 10 as opposed to 50, and that's pretty tough. Uh, I would say probably you could violate that if you wanted to for an election. I just think an election is a very special thing. He's going to choose — he chose a different date, I think a date sometime in June. But uh, that would be a decision that would be made by him. He felt it was necessary. Uh, the courts are — somebody's challenging it, so the courts will ultimately decide. But what are you doing to ensure that further elections — if, if, if we're still in this situation a month from now, two months from yeah. now, uh, 
What I'm doing, yeah. What I'm doing, John, is very simple. We're getting rid of this virus. That's what we're doing. That's the best thing. Um, before, let's just think. Oh, what if the what if this is still going on in November? That's right. He's going to be president forever. That's the point. We can do. By the way, for the markets, for everything, it's very simple. Very simple solution. We want to get rid of it. We want to have very as few deaths as possible. This is a horrible thing. You look at what's going on with Italy. We don't want to be in a position like that, but a much larger because we're a much larger country. We don't want to be there. And uh, I think we've done really well. I think we've done well. I think the states have done well. We're all working together. The best thing we can do is get rid of the virus. Once that's gone, it's going to pop back like nobody's ever seen before. That's my opinion. But I think it'll pop back like nobody's ever seen before. Please. Just to follow up on John's question. Just want to tell you, for those of you that didn't see the speech, he had that amazing President Donald J. Trump smirk is going to pop back like you've never seen Specifically, how many new hospital facilities Army Corps of Engineers build, and also what specific measures are you taking to try to increase the number of ventilators in the stockpile? Right. We've ordered uh, massive numbers of uh, ventilators. We have, by any normal standards, we have a lot of respirators, uh, ventilators. We have tremendous amounts of equipment, but compared to what we're talking about here, this has never been done before. Uh, and yesterday, I gave the governors the right to go order directly if they want, if they feel they can do it faster than going through the federal uh, government. Now, we've knocked out all of the bureaucracy. It's very direct, but it's still always faster to order directly. And I gave them. That was totally misinterpreted by the New York Times on purpose, unfortunately. But the, the but it, it's very important. Yes, Mike. I could uh, amplify. Yeah, please. Our president directed us to work uh, with the Department of Defense. There's two ways that DOD can be helpful in terms of expanding medical capacity. Um, I know the governor of New York has asked us to look at the Army Corps of Engineers, which could perhaps renovate existing buildings. But the president also has us inventorying um, what you all would understand as field hospitals or MASH hospitals that can be deployed very quickly. We spoke with uh, Governor Ensley yesterday in Washington State. Uh, we have resources uh, in that part of the country that we could move. And as governors make these requests, uh, we will process them, bring them to the president. But there are two different lanes that DOD can provide, in addition to many medical supplies to augment our national reserves. And the president has tasked us to, uh, to evaluate, make available, and to consider every, every request from governors for either field hospitals, expanding facilities, or the Army Corps of Engineers that could retrofit existing buildings? The Army Corps is very uh, prepared to do, as we say, and we're looking at where it's going. But uh, And they do call them MASH hospitals, but the field hospitals go up very quickly. Uh, uh, we have them. We have all of this equipment in stock. And we're looking at different sites in a few different locations. And we're not going to need them in West Virginia, where so far I guess they have none. Still none? Still none, right? West Virginia. Big Jim, the governor's, he must be doing a good job. Or is that just reported? That's what's reported. No, they, no, but is that a reporting issue, or is that that they have no cases? Well, that's all that I just see West Virginia is the only one that has no cases. So obviously that's being treated differently than a New York or, or a California different parts of California. I, I do say this, though. The, the Army Corps of Engineers is uh, ready, willing, and able. Uh, we have to give them the go-ahead if we find that it's going to be necessary. We think we can have uh, quite a few units up very rapidly. Uh, I'm going to work with uh, Governor Cuomo. I'm going to work with uh, a number of the governors. Governor Newsom has been very generous in his uh, 
in his words, and I'm being generous to him, too, because we're all working together very well. And, and uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of very positive things have taken place. Uh, we're talking to California about different sites, but we can, we can have a lot of units up fairly quickly if we think we need them. I think what I'll do is I, I might ask Seema to say a few words on the telehealth, and then we can get back to this. So telehealth, you guys, I don't know if you guys have ever used it. I have. Um, It's actually quite just, you know, you book it on your phone and you kind of move from there. Uh, It's actually quite convenient. And if it's something like, you know, hey, I have a cold or um, hey, I... um, ran out of a prescription, I guess, you know, they'll just go ahead and do it. He's actually pushing back on uh, HIPAA regulations, kind of lasking them in a sense. Uh, so that way, uh, the, you know, there's it's not as stringent and it's a lot easier. Uh, so here we go, boosting into the 22nd century under coronavirus. But there's so much more to talk about. I mean, I don't want to talk about everything. Because, you know, uh, I've been working on a few little projects, uh, putting it together. And I was so grateful yesterday to be in someone's studio that was helping me look at what they were doing on the audio. So that way I can finish all those further segments that I have for my subscribers. And I love you guys for the feedback. I hope you do like um, they're kind of in depth on each topic. Uh, So wait till you hear deep fake and I'll give you guys a taste. Um in regards to quantum computing later. Uh, So uh, we'll go for this short break and we'll come back talking about postponing of elections and how this um, is pretty much a trump card. Welcome back, everyone. So we heard President Trump is working on sending us a check. Pretty nice, huh? Like a UBI check. But he's going to send it to us. And what is it called? The uh, citizens, you know, business, insured, whatever, whatever, incidentals for citizens. That sounds pretty good that those people that have filed taxes that are under a certain threshold or are working for a dependent market in regards to aggregating, like, you know, people that are waiters, people that are contractors you know, stuff like that, Um, you know, they will be sending them out a check. Great news to hear that your, um, you know, taxes, if you're expecting a refund, will come quicker. Uh, They are trying to inject cash into the pockets of Americans, not so much businesses like the mainstream media would like to tell you. But right now, what mainstream media is going to start to do, and I foresee that they will start to tone this down as long as their threat is neutralized and their threat. Well, that's another story we must get into at some point, but let's just stick to what we see here. Okay. What we see here is certain people getting their panties in a twist about, you know, this shutdown. And there's one specific voice that made a misspelling yesterday that tell that, that told me, (laughs) And tells you what team he's on. And he's on Team Reality Hackers. Now, I want you to take a listen to the segment about 
Well, just take a listen to this conversation and point out the snake. Today's primaries, despite the CV-19 concerns, including the big state of Florida. Here to weigh in is Florida's GOP Senator Marco Rubio. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning. Good morning. morning. So what is your opinion of that? Do you think Florida should still continue to have the primary? Well, it's not, I don't think it's fair for me to pass judgment on it because I wasn't in those meetings with the governor and the Florida health authorities who reviewed it all, looked at the disruption it would create and made that decision. Um, as you heard in that clip that just played a moment ago, the governor was advised by the leading health authorities that, that he relies on that they thought that activity could go on without it posing a public health threat. And so, you know, absent contrary information, I'm not going to question the decision that they've made. I'm, at this point, it's happening, and I don't want to I don't want to be out there discouraging people from from voting at this point. All right. So let's talk about the relief bills that are working their way yeah. uh, in your lap today. And then Steve Mnuchin will introduce a third relief bill coming your way. Uh, from what you've seen, what stands out that you like and don't like? Well, first of all, let me just say this. We are not living in ordinary times. OK, these are not ordinary times. This is not a bunch of businesses who made a bad decision and now are looking for the government to help them out. This is a virus that threatens our economy because in order to prevent this virus from killing a lot of people, we have to force people or ask people to stay home and not go to businesses. And the result is people are going to lose their jobs. Businesses are going to close and we're going to have to do something to buffer that. Absolutely. And so and so that's the way I would judge everything that we're talking about. What the House passed is not perfect. But I think the price of inaction at this point is way too high. In the meantime, whatever's wrong with that bill, we will look to fix in a bill that will start here in the Senate that we need to pass very quickly and that I think will be focused on, number one, getting uh, allowing airlines to continue to operate because if we shut down the airlines, we're going to have a very different country. We're not going to be able to move people around, important uh, uh, trips that need to happen for public health and for uh, national security and so forth. And the second is we need to get funds, we need to get liquidity into the hands of small businesses who are not going to be able to meet payroll as required under the paid leave requirements of of the House bill and are going to struggle to be around four, six, eight, twelve weeks from now when everything sort of settles down a little bit. And so that's the part that we're focused on. We've got a pretty good outline that's bipartisan. Obviously, we need to hear from more of our colleagues, but that's the piece I'm going to focus on. And we need to move on that very, very fast. You we just, have no time to spare. Senator, you just wor- used a word we don't hear much uh, these days from Washington, and that is bipartisan. It seems like uh, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle realize the gravity of this particular global pandemic, and they're pulling out as many stops as is possible by Washington standards. You know, most of the things we do around here, despite the fact that we're given to hyperbole, the vast majority of things we do here on a daily basis are not going to be remembered in the long view of history, maybe not even a year from now. This is going to be written about 100 years from now. This is a global event that will fundamentally change the structure of the world political order, the world economic order for a generation. This is a huge event that's happening, and for our country it's very impactful. That makes partisan bickering and pot shots at this point trivial. We will have time later on in the future to examine all the decisions that were made and to figure out who made mistakes so we can prevent it from happening again and people will be held to account. Now is not that time. Now is the time to act to keep this from being worse than it needs to be. And, and we can't do that if we spend all our time taking political pot shots or, or arguing over Senator, ideological purity. And thing is, could this be one of the last times you guys get together in this era of social distancing? Is it safe for the senators to be packed into a chamber? Or do you guys have plans? 
Well, that's a great question. And I would say about that, the argument I've been making for two weeks now is that we cannot assume that we're going to be able to operate with business as usual. Right. Uh, just think about how different the world looks today than just seven days ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it will look fundamentally different seven days from now than it does today. We cannot operate here under the assumption that we can keep coming back every week and passing bills. Uh, we're going to need to do as much as we can while we are here because we really don't know what happens 7, 10, 15 days from now. We, we don't, and we shouldn't pretend that we do, and we should operate under the assumption that we can't just quickly come together again to act. How do you vote? Well, uh, that's a great question, and it's one of the arguments about continuity of government that I think needs to be examined and looked at. Uh, our, our government has to continue to operate. We're not going to... Uh, Uh-oh, here we go with the deep fakes. Suspend the Constitution. Uh, we're gonna, I, I believe that one of the things that needs to be focused on by the leadership of the House and the Senate is how can Congress continue to operate when a substantial number of their members may be in quarantine because they or a family member has been infected wow. or, or because they frankly can't get here because the travel arrangements become impossible. That's right, because a dozen members of Congress are self-quarantining right now. You mean a dozen people are stuck in California and hiding, right? None yeah. have you tested can do video positively. conferencing. They're doing, that's becoming a big thing now. Thank you so much, Senator. For- yeah, video conferencing. No deep fakes there. No, hey, we took this senator or this congressperson out, and when you think they're going to vote one way, suddenly they're like, well, my conscience, and how do you throw tomatoes at them? What if they're not there? Uh, we're going to get into that stuff a little bit um, uh, more deeper into that uh, in the second hour because I want you guys to understand how big this is and how it backfired on the not-so-nicely people. Take a listen to how Fox reported about Ohio closing the primary polls over COVID-19. It actually went to the Supreme Court. It was petitioned. The Supreme Court said, nope, we're not doing it. Take a listen. Polls closed just hours before primary voting was set to begin there. The governor making that controversial announcement after a judge initially denied his request for the election to be postponed over coronavirus concerns. You should not force them to make this choice. A choice between their health and their constitutional rights and their duties. As American citizens. Ellison Barber is live in Columbus, Ohio with the latest. Good morning, Ellison. Good morning, Ed. To say that things have been confusing here in the last 24 hours or so is a bit of an understatement. Some people actually tried to show up to various poll locations this morning thinking that they could vote only to then find out that it actually was not happening today. They were greeted by signs on the door saying that it had been postponed. Yesterday, Governor Mike DeWine said in order to protect the health of Ohio voters, they needed to postpone in-person voting. He said that he didn't have the legal authority to make that change, so his office filed a lawsuit to ask the courts to approve a delay on the in-person vote and extend absentee mail-in voting until June 2nd. But a judge in Franklin County denied that request. It seemed voting was back on. Poll workers were told to show up. Then Governor DeWine announced that the election would not happen. And Ohio's health director, Dr. Amy Atkin, will order the polls closed as a health emergency. And he said this, quote, Secretary of State Frank LaRose will seek a remedy through the courts to extend voting options so that every voter who wants to vote will be granted that opportunity. 
We just spoke to that man, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. He told us that he is now preparing for legal challenges, but he says he is confident that the decisions made in this state are legal. And he says they acted as quickly and decisively as they could. Listen here. I'm confident that we made the right choice and the legally correct choice as well. I don't think any of us that serve in positions of responsibility can ever look back and say we did everything 100% perfectly, right? Uh, hindsight's always 2020. Uh, what I know is that Governor DeWine acted to protect health and safety. What I know is that I immediately responded uh, to protect the integrity of our elections and the confidence people have in our elections. I know that the governor stands by his decision. I stand by mine. And the Secretary of State is now urging voters in this state to go online to voteohio.gov and register for those mail-in ballots. Huh. So now we're going to do mail-in ballots, which is more of a confirmation. Don't forget that in May, if you haven't filled out your census, you're going to get a knock on the door that says, hey, you didn't fill out your census. We just want to see how many people live here or if they actually do live here. Now, on that note, speaking about postponing elections, speaking about, uh, you know, all these uh, weird shenanigans, let's say, uh, of social distancing. I wanted us to listen to what Governor Cuomo of New York had to say about President Trump and what he had to say about working with uh, President Trump. And then, yeah, let's just let's just listen to what this clown had to say quickly. Just listen. Early this morning. We need their. This government has done uh, somersaults. It's performed better than ever before. I am telling you, this government cannot meet this crisis without the resources and capacity of the federal government. Uh, I spoke to the president this morning again. Uh, he is ready, willing, and able to help. I've been speaking with members of his staff late last night, early this morning. We need their help, especially on the hospital capacity issue. We need FEMA. FEMA has tremendous resources. When I was at HUD, I worked with FEMA. I know what they can do. I know what the Army Corps of Engineers can do. Uh, they have a capacity that we simply do not have. I said to the president, uh, who is a New Yorker, who I've known for many, many years, I put my hand out in partnership. I want to work together 100 uh, percent. And New Yorkers will do everything they can to be good partners with the federal government. I think the president was 100 percent sincere in saying that he wanted to work together. Uh, in partnership, in a spirit of actions, he has taken evidence that uh, his team has been on it. I know a team when they're on it, and I know a team when they're not on it. His team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning, uh, and they've uh, thus far been doing everything that they can do. And I want to say thank you, and I want to say that I appreciate it. And they will have nothing but cooperation and partnership uh, from the state of New York. And uh, we're not Democrats and we're not Republicans. We are Americans at the end of the day. That's who we are. And that's who we are when we are at our best. 
Now, just imagine what they found out. Both, you know, Newsom and Cuomo to suddenly flip and be super nice and kind to the president of the United States and his administration. The complete opposite, obviously, of the tune that is being sung by the mainstream media that is in the dark, obviously, has no idea what's going on and uh, really hates the president. Now, let's listen to Fredo talking with his Fredo brother. Uh, so here we go. Chris Cuomo with Governor Cuomo, the siblings talking about what's going on. Just listen to the dynamic here. Uh, curfew. I don't like the word curfew. Dad tried to have a curfew for me. I never got past the resentment, but uh, I do believe you'll see the least more of your tightening problems, if the, the numbers way. don't slow. Your problems with the curfew It's the least of your well, problems, just so you know. I never fight. You violated the curfew all the time, caused much pain, but that's a different story. I don't believe in rules. Governor Andrew Cuomo, I appreciate yeah. you coming on the show. I love you. I'm proud of what you're doing. I know you're working hard for your state, but no matter uh, Curfew, I Wow. He just put Fredo Jr. in his place. He's like, listen, man, you know, you, you, you know, always were, yeah, I don't follow the rules. We know you don't. You follow other rules. And right now, Governor Newsom, Governor Cuomo are under check. They know what has been released in response to the release. And when you do things like this, it comes down and you can own it. Remember, they're a sanctuary city, state, right? Cities and state. They don't get federal funding. They need federal funds. You want federal funds? You comply. You don't want to get rid of these murderers. You don't want to get rid of these rapists. You don't want to get rid of all these clowns. You want to give them rights that American citizens can't have? Well, then I can't help you. But if you comply, I will help you because you will own this. You will own the fact that your state fell into chaos. You will own the fact that your state has the highest rate of deaths because never Trump. No one will ever forgive that no one will ever vote democrat and this is where you need to stand up and say yeah you know um orange man bad but he's really doing good he's really helping us that's it that's it because you don't want your pants pulled down but all those that are resisting like washington and oregon they're getting a taste of what's to come a taste of what's to come when you see that you can't control what you've released out into the ether what, Tori, released out onto the ether? Well, I'm just saying, what if? What if something that was intended for evil is actually good? This is what I have to say as you listen to the blinking lady that stood behind President Trump all this time. Take a listen. And we're asking the younger generations to support them in social contacting through videos and other Skype-type functions, or just the simple telephone. We're asking the younger generations to stop going out in public places to bars and restaurants and spreading asymptomatic virus onto countertops and knobs and grocery stores and grocery carts. I heard an innovation last night and this morning again on the news. I really want to applaud the private sector who are now creating senior-only shopping times. I think that's extraordinary. I think that shows what America brings. And I think other 
countries will learn from us about how to really protect seniors in this type of way. I'm hoping that carries through to next year when we have our flu epidemic, where we can really have a very different pro profile of the amount of mortality that we have during flu that we never talk about. Anywhere from 15,000 to 45,000 individuals are lost every year. If we learn how to do this well, and sustain some of those core changes, we can change the way respiratory viruses, not only for this, but the future, affect Americans. It's a big thing. A question on the clinical data. So we, we've had now roughly 5,000 people test positive. We've had uh, 90 deaths or so. When are we going to know the data of who those people are? who has been infected, what the ages are, what the pre-existing conditions are, how serious it was, both for those uh, who, who have been tested positive, uh, but also those who have died. Well, you are singing my sheet of music. I'm very data-oriented, so thank you for bringing up this issue of data. I really want to applaud HHS. Um, we had a discussion about this several days ago. They've made calls into Seattle and California to really understand that. And also importantly, to understand how many of their patients needed ventilators, how many of them needed um, oxygen support, how many of them needed and what they needed. Could we predict early someone who was going to have a more difficult course? These are all the questions we're asking right and answering right now. We did get an early report back from Santa Clara and Seattle. We're digesting it. We just got it this morning. We're looking at that carefully because we think that roadmap is very important to other communities. We have not discussed this with New York yet. We do know from other countries, and that all is available online, that profile. Um, you can see that mortality under 30 is extraordinarily low. The mortality across the board outside of Wuhan is now settling somewhere around 0.7. But that should not be reassuring because it's much higher in people with pre-existing medical conditions, even if young, and people that are older with pre-existing medical conditions. And so we still want every American focused on doing what they can do today to change the course of this pandemic. So she's data-oriented. Funny how yesterday there was a cybersecurity attack on HHS, what they're calling a DDoS attack, because it seems like someone really wants to get their hands on the health data and the statistics that we've pulled and what we have. It's very interesting, isn't it, guys, how that is all coming into focus right now, how what they want we can see. So it means that we're holding our cards really close to our chest, and you would think, well, wouldn't you have them open? You would if this lockdown, if this coronavirus was exactly what everyone is saying. No, what's everyone saying? Ha! Huh. It's a mishmash, isn't it? Fake news is saying one thing, the president is saying another thing, and the president isn't saying much except for coronavirus. And if you're not sick, don't go get tested. I, I don't know how many times he had to repeat that. But this is unprecedented this shows as to why on Friday, uh, you know, the seal was removed. And let's just remember how many CEOs stepped down between Friday and yesterday. Tons. Very rich ones. Wonder where we're getting all that money for that $1,000 check. Huh? Like I've said, we've been filling our coffers and we can spend, spend, spend. I'll see you all right after this break.
real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So in the first hour, we heard the announcement from the White House where President Trump gave his press conference to let people know what we're doing, how we're doing it, and um, what to expect, and how fast he's trying to do it. He doesn't want if, ands, or but in discussions. He just wants it done, right? That is all. I want to send money and fill the pockets of the citizens, the businesses will take care of them. We need the citizens to be paid. So, hey, if you're under the threshold and what they qualify as, you'll be getting a $1,000 check in the mail. Pretty interesting, right? And now with the Federal Reserve having slashed the rates, all you small businesses should go out there and, you know, get yourself that loan to buy that, uh, you know, new equipment you wanted for your restaurant or store. And, you know, it's a great time to refinance if you can. Uh, so I wanted us to um, kind of look at this from another perspective. For all of you that have been following me writing throughout the years, you know, when I first came on the scene with Andy Breitbart, uh, obviously not a lot of people knew me by my name and then writing throughout the years and then on this on the air. If you guys remember, I'm always too fast, right? But if you remember my New Year's Eve episode and my New Year's Day episode, when we entered 2019, I told you that this year will be the year of AI, that 2019 was the year of AI artificial intelligence and see for some reason all of us just assume that it's like a room with a lot of servers that makes decisions well what if it wasn't have you guys uh, ever seen those movies like uh, you know where they create like the ultimate weapon where they or like even stranger things for my younger generations that are listening because I know a lot of young people are extremely conservative now uh, regardless of the dildo waivers we see uh, with uh, you know that are confused about genders funny how you know the statistics when coming out of uh, you know the Department of Health and Human Services in regards to victim it's male and female there's no cis trans this you know there is male or female transsexuals are either male or female they're not something in between right if you're gay you're still a male or female you know asexual you're not a bacteria so i'm just saying forget those generations that have foregone you know the basic laws of science and tell you facts and feelings over facts. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Just oh, trying to keep a straight face saying this, but our younger generation is a lot smarter and they see the bigger picture. Think we have almost a hundred thousand people dying a year from the flu, but for some reason we're taking extraordinary precautions for this where we have 350 million people in America, 61 of them have died and over half of those deaths came from one nursing home in Washington, yet we're in full-blown panic. And back in the days when kids used to get sick, they used to have chicken pox parties. I'm just saying. I'm not promoting like a coronavirus party, but why not? I had one myself, and today I'm going to finish that party off. Should be a really nice report coming soon. Um, but 
coronavirus parties. Come on, guys. Think about it. We're all social distancing. That's great. We're all entering that world that Andrew Yang was talking about. Remember Andrew Yang that I said, hey, you know, he's the guy in the background that if the Democrats actually went behind him, he would have won the nomination and he would have actually been a challenger for President Trump because his ideas were so out there. Right. And I said his ideas were great, but not right now. We need those ideas in 20 years because in 20 years, we're all not going to see each other. In 20 years, we're all going to be doing everything remotely, right? In 20 years, not now. And in 20 years, you know, there'll be the ability to not stock shelves with people, but they'll have robots. I mean, they're already doing it. For all these idiots saying, well, I want basic wage of $15, you know, for using the till at McDonald's or Taco Bell. And it's like, I'll invest like $20,000 in a computer screen and people order like that saves me money, health insurance, payroll tax, the whole nine yards. You see how that goes? So Andrew Yang had the right idea. But right now we are being pushed into that era of everything remote. So you have to sit back and think, why are we being pushed into this era? What benefit could it be? I told you in an alternate reality, this coronavirus was to like just round up dissidents and gulags and just exactly what Hillary Clinton and other crazy Democrats have been tweeting out. We should remove sick people and put them into quarantines. And then what? When they die, how do we identify the body? We can't. Coronavirus. Oh, they're just dead. It'll be funny to see who were the just dead on the Democrat version. I'm just saying. Now, (laughs) sounds far-fetched. Yeah. Doesn't this sound far-fetched? Didn't I tell you four weeks ago that they're going to say calling it the Chinese flu is racist? Now they're all, how could he call it the Kung Fu flu? How could he call it the Wuhan virus? Like, calm down. It's true. I didn't see anybody coming up for rights for the West Nile virus. Did you? Did you hear anyone saying, well, don't call it the West Nile virus. That's like so racist for people of the Nile. Egyptians, rise up. Come on. Let's be serious. Something is definitely going on. And to understand this, something definitely is going on. We always have to look at history. But we said the past proves the future. And for all those young people out there like Gregory, George, Maria, right? Uh, Pammy. I have a, I have a bunch of teenagers, guys, that send me messages on Snapchat and Facebook, you know, randomly, hey, I'm listening to you while I'm in this class, you know, because they love the science portion. So I promise today that I'll get into a science portion that will kind of blow your mind, but it's actually reality, but we don't look into it. But to get you to where I am, so you can understand coronavirus a little bit more, we need to listen to um, that little tool from Florida that we heard about earlier, Marco Rubio, you know, the loser that made sure that uh, Florida only had like what, two insurance companies, you know, and he got like all this money for it. And it comes out of a, a foundation. Don't we just love these foundations, you guys? They're always doing so much good you know, on paper or on Twitter, but you never see them actually do it, right? They're not really saying what they do. Uh, Well, they're telling you what they're doing, but they're not really doing it. And that's called the Heritage Foundation. You know what the Heritage Foundation is? It's one of those think tanks, 
right? Think tanks, Soros and all them, you know, think tank. What is a think tank? You sit down and hash stuff out and you think with your dollar dollar. What is that? Well, let's listen to this little tool and what he talked about, because this is really important. Take a listen. Mm, there we go. I appreciate this opportunity to be here. Um, thank you all for coming. I, I want to thank the Heritage Foundation or given that we've hired so many people from here lately, what we like to call the Rubio Senate Training Center. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I want to thank all of you guys for doing this. This is a, an interesting issue to talk about. We, in our political culture today, are largely a reactive nation. We react to things after they happen. Something bad happens and we react to it. So what he's saying is we need to be preemptive about it. This is an effort to try to get ahead of something, to sort of see what the capabilities are, see what the trends in society are, put them together, and anticipate how bad actors could utilize technology. And te bad actors like Marco Rubio himself, like Hillary Clinton, like Joe Biden. You know, they tried that deep fake run with Joe Biden, but he kept walking off the set. It didn't work, did it? Technological advances in the years to come. And I'm grateful that we have this forum here to begin to talk about it because it is the beginning, what I hope of will be both uh, thinking about what we can do in public policy, but also societally to be aware at every. Okay, let's just stop right there before you listen to the rest of uh, the narrative he's going to give you. And I want to take you back to the date of this. This is from July of 2018. There were a lot of conferences about deep fake. It just so happened to align with the time that all these videos of politicians, you know, having meth sex parties were being leaked out, right? Or the FBI had confiscated. And then you have to wonder, methamphetamine, why are they constantly hiring hookers, uh, male and female, and methamphetamine? And it's all down to science. <laughs> Wait till we get into that, because we will. I'll go, I'll blow straight through all the commercials, and we'll just go straight forward. I just want you to listen to what this little guy has to tell you about because little Rubio thinks he's smart. Little Rubio has cash piles up his tushy, but he's telling you that they just started the conversation and that's false. They just started the narrative. The conversation of deep fakes has been going on for a very, very long time. What's a deep fake? Well, how do you know I'm even human? I mean, yeah, you've seen me. Well, let me take it back another notch. How do you know who you see on the screen is really who is on the screen? I mean, I could be talking as Tory, but really be, I don't know, some dude named Bob. You wouldn't know because it's digitally composed and Bob can have my voice and he can speak. And yes, those of you that caught it yesterday while I was late, that was Millie Weaver um, opening up for the Tory Says show. Um so how do you know? I mean, you can understand from the voice that it's me, right? But how do you know that it is actually me? I could be a computer program. You know, the ladies on the news in China, they don't even exist. They're artificial intelligence programs giving you the news. And the one in North Korea. So I want you guys to think Twice, question everything. How many times have I said that? Question everything. <laughs> but anyway, we live in an era that even if you touch it, you see it, you still don't believe it. That's how well they've conditioned you. But let's just listen to 
uh, little Rubio's uh, introduction here before we get delve into the science of things and how this ties in with our uh, coronavirus pandemic and what the World Health Organization is calling an infodemic. <laughs> That's rich. Take a listen. Every level, from the media uh, to academia to us as indiv- ind- individual citizens about this reality. What we're here to talk about is something called a deep fake or deep fakes. And if you say that, I would say that 99% of the American population doesn't know what it is, even though, frankly, uh, for years they've been watching deep fakes in science fiction movies and the like, in which these incredible special effects uh, are as realistic as they've ever been, thanks to the talent of, of people. But never before have we sort of seen that capability become so apparent or so um, available right off the shelf. And so even now, if you go online to certain sites, you will find comedy sites and places that put up funny videos of individuals doing or saying things. And they range from the bad lip sync ones, uh, which really isn't a deep fake, although, you know, they're funny and they can be, all the way to other things that are just designed to look real. And you really couldn't tell that they aren't unless you uh, unless an expert told you they weren't. And then you look at sort of the trends we've seen in the 21st century and the weaponization of information. And let me just say, there's always been propaganda in the world, and there's always, information has always been a powerful tool to use against a competitor or an adversary. What we've never had in human history is the ability to disseminate information so rapidly, so instantaneously, and for it to have an impact on so many people uh, before you're capable of reacting to it. It wasn't long ago that if you wanted to get word out, you had to pay for it and put it on television, or you had to distribute it on paper and hope it reached people. Now you can reach millions of people within seconds, And if it isn't true, by the time you knock it down, it could take weeks, months, and maybe never. So what does that mean in the 21st century? Well, it means a lot of things. It's not just a political topic. Let's begin with the fact that you're an individual, and you're up for a job, or someone's just unhappy with you, and someone who either wants to cost you the job, the opportunity, or just wants revenge, finds a way to post a video of you saying or doing something that you never did or said. And it's highly realistic. No one will be able to tell that it isn't real. Deeply embarrassing, whatever it is they put up. And you as an everyday individual have no way to track down who did it and no way to disprove it. And people will say to you, I saw it with my own eyes. One thing is to claim you never said or wrote something. Another thing is when someone actually hears you do it and say it. And you have no way as an individual to fight back against it. And the fact that it leaves doubt could be problematic. And imagine that applied to a business. You're on the verge of an initial public offering, or some competitor has a reason to knock down your share value on a given day, or they just want to destroy your business all the way around, and suddenly they are posting videos about your business, or maybe even the CEO of your company saying something that they never said or did. And the business damages are incalculable. And this is a real opportunity for those who want to damage the business community. And in the case of politics, imagine for a moment, I thought about this not long ago, if someone were... I wonder why he thought about it. Did he think about it because it was that video of Adam Schiff, you know, the bug-eyed creep that's actually the whistleblower, you know, that heard stuff about the Ukraine, right? That was at a party, just like Andrew Gillum, right? with prostitutes and little children and you know there was a dead body on the floor you know but these are you know with ed buck who his friend ed buck is now in jail because of these meth parties and having what the second third 
documented, you know, male prostitute kid, whatever, dead from these methamphetamine, you know, sex orgies you know, with blood and, and feast. It's just disgusting. And you're thinking these are the people you put in office. What are they into? Right. That's number one. Number two, let's get into the science of deep fakes. Our technology is great. You've been watching it on your big screen with CGI's where they show you behind the scenes where they're wearing these outfits and they're jumping about avatar, etc. But you know what? Deep fake goes beyond video. It goes beyond trolls and people posting stuff because now the courts have been weaponized to create deep fake documents, deep fake this, right? It's crazy. I mean, they deep fake General Flynn, right? Didn't they? I mean, think about it. Deep fake, fake statements by the FBI to put him in a box. And now three years later, after they've destroyed his life completely. And that was my general. He was America's general. This guy, now they find out, Oh, maybe they lied and they didn't really write the truth. Wait a minute. So are you saying that FBI agents, well, you know, Peter Strzok was an FBI. He was from the clown agency, right? Write down fake 302s. Are you kidding? We have a computer with a treasure trove of horrific, evil, satanic stuff on it. Things that'll make you want to slit your wrists saying, I'm not living in this world. This is crazy. It's done that we're on a computer by Anthony Weiner, a pedophile, right? Married to Huma Abedin, which they have a kid, which by the way, they're together with together. And let me tell you something, just because someone fathers a kid doesn't mean they're not evil and disgusting, right? Right. (laughs) together but in that laptop while they were searching for more kitty porn they find that not only that documents communication the missing emails this is why hillary clinton doesn't want to testify because she's like man you know these people might have the real emails just like i had the real dnc server portion of it not all of it but you know i digress because supposedly russians hacked it not an american citizen did right russians russians oh by the way the russians that were indicted by Mueller, and suddenly it's dismissed because they have no proof wait a minute wait But wasn't that indictment key to show the world that President Trump is a Russian agent? Are you saying that they just filed it because they felt like it? They filed it because they didn't think anyone would come up and, you know, contest. They didn't think that it would go. Remember, they took that straight to the Supreme Court, the Concord case. Do you remember that? Oh, let's just bypass everything. What? That's a deep fake. They're deep faking you every single day. And Marco Rubio... One of their little puppets, one of their little (laughs) minions out there, hoping that he can climb the ladder of a temple that is crumbled right now with the movement that we are seeing, is telling you about it. Well, how's I blow your mind and tell you more about it? Let's get into this. So, as you know, I'm a linguist. I was trained to be a linguist, and that is my thing. The newest form is computational linguistics. Now, for over, over, 50 years, we have been trying to train computers to translate documented, um, you know, languages to spew them out in another, you know, everybody uses Google translate. Don't, it's not accurate. And the, the reason that we can't get human translations or human interpretations correct is because we lack input. 
right? Input of the human being. I can say something that's a saying that doesn't really mean what it says. There's tons of them, tons of sayings that we say that make absolutely no sense if you translate them. Absolutely no sense. There's a saying in Greek that says, take an egg and shave it. What does that tell you? Nothing. But for the Greeks, it means, yep, totally not possible. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, but how are you supposed to interpret that when someone just throws it at you? Do you know what I'm saying? I want to say all these other sayings that don't make sense, but they're all curse words, you know, like from Kazakh, uh, you know, that language, whoa, you can't translate that, interpret that word for word ever. Arabic, the different dialects of Arabic, French, German, it doesn't all mean the same. There's context. There's that human component that computers don't have. So when you think about quantum computing, I want you to think can a computer really make decisions since it's all ones and zeros, factual and just so rigid without the human component when it comes to human interactions, human progression, human life? Like I've said, the mathematics that I do, the equations that I execute in predicting situations, the one thing you cannot take as a very, as a solid or absolute, I would say variable or treated as such is humans. Humans cannot be taken in as such. They have to be treated as nodes because they are so highly variant because you don't know what goes on in someone's head and you will never know. And why? Because the biggest quantum computer, the best quantum computer on this planet is sitting in between those six inches between your ears, right? Those six inches is where it sits. Those six inches. This is how we instantaneously can lift our pinky without even thinking because that's how rapid it is. This is how smelling something will trigger a memory from like, whoa, where'd that come from? Or make you feel something. And it's like, do computers feel do they get a feeling? No, they don't. But the human mind has the most intricate structure um, of communication. There have been so many papers where some people were like, yeah, your brain, there's cells in your brain that store memories. No, they don't. It's in your DNA. Your DNA, what they call junk DNA, is probably your memories. Because we don't know it. We just, oh, yeah, it's just junk because it gets cut out. Probably because when you're formulating a protein for your body to, I don't know, make another cell or kick off some signaling or make some vitamin D, I don't think you need the memory of you making chicken pot pies on the beach when you were a kid. So artificial intelligence, like I said on my New Year's show, is was key for this year. Key because this is how it happens. You strip people of their ability to understand, to know what's true and what's fake. It's done. You already don't know what's true and what's fake. You have the talking heads on TV telling you, you must hate this president. You must hate this flag. You must hate anyone that doesn't open borders. Let me tell you something. Before coronavirus was a coronavirus thing, while people were busy with the impeachment, the president shut down the borders to China. Pretty cool, huh? Because it would have been crazier if indeed coronavirus was really the issue here. 
ISIS has put out, you know, <laughs> they said, no jihad in Europe, guys. You, you know, these are people that want to go and blow themselves up and they're not going because of coronavirus, which means it's not coronavirus. I mean, you're going to die anyway and blow up. Why not go and get sick and blow up? You see, something else is going on. In the meantime, we're doing all these weird arrests. Weird arrests, weird, weird, weird arrests. But let's stick with the deep fakes. I think it's important for people to understand in like a, a more easier fact that, that despite the countless of studies that we have done, a lot of people don't know much about the human brain. Is there a connection between our brain and what we are trying to figure out is quantum physics? Because there's so many scientists that suggest, suggest, and rightfully so, that the brain is in fact a quantum computer. And quantum computer scientists are actually asking the questions, is it possible that humans are quantum computers rather than just clever robots who are designing and building quantum computers? Uh, because there's so many parts of the human brain we don't understand. And, uh, you know, quantum mechanics deals with the behavior of nature at an atomic level, right? And subatomic levels uh, to... Um, you, you look at quantum physics in order to understand and get clues that uh, tell you the implications of, of quantum computing and material sciences to biology, mental health, right? And what it is um, for researchers to really understand what, where consciousness come from, right? So think about it this way. You have connections in the brain in cells and you don't understand how these connections are made. Some are instantaneous. Some are delayed. You do understand the biological processes of, or you think you do, of how things happen. But remember one thing that I've always told you that I struggled with when I did a shifting gears and got into, you know, medical school and the college of pharmacy was I couldn't fathom the fact. Well, I could, but couldn't too. That we are just a clump of cells. Like, look at your hands right now. They look pretty solid to you. And you're just like, what? But if you zoom in more, every single one of those skin cells, every single one of those cells for the capillaries that feed, you know, um, you know, nutrients and oxygen to your phalanges, right? Your nail of that closely bound keratin all of that when you break it down 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 it's literally phosphorus hydrogen oxygen carbon and nitrogen all like kind of swirling around each other they're atoms and you're they're, for some reason they're all just hanging out so close together that you envision them as a whole you've taken yourself out but around you on top of your skin and I urge you and for those of you that are out of school and you know are at home I urge you to find the TED talk from Dr. Bonnie Bassler she starts it off with saying that 99% of your outer you know self your hair your eyes your hands you know the way you are is covered in bacteria so there you have other you know molecular on a molecular level spinning around and quantum physics looks at the way the atom sits and how the electron spins around it and then it zooms in even more to the core to see the neutrons proton all of that so think 
You are just a bunch of atoms walking around. Those five that I mentioned in general, obviously, we have uh, chlorine, we have, uh, you know, um, calcium, uh, you know, we have uh, tons of other elements that we use for communication. But the core of us is just those five things and they make up your DNA. Those five things. That is what makes you, you, your intestinal cells are all scattered if they wanted to, but for some reason they're all hanging out together and they make your intestine or your heart or your brain. So there's a lot that we don't know about. So there's physicists, um, which are glorified mathematicians. Well, actually, yeah, glorified mathematicians because quantum physicists and just physicists in general are really mathematicians. But they try to apply, they're applied mathematicians. How's that? Not to knock them. Because I love physics. I'll tell you the best time I ever had when I went back to school again to kind of shift gears and get knowledge into the sciences was TAing for physics. Uh, it was the most fun I had. Uh, you know, I thought I did a great job teaching. I did. I could have stayed. Um, and I would have, but you know, Mm -mm. It wasn't for me. I guess it wasn't in the cards because at that point I said no, but it was one of the most amazing times I had, which was sparking that light of interest into physics. And I, and I was more teaching uh, the E side of physics, you know, magnetic waves, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was more on an introduction to physics class, you know, that, you know, those weed out classes they give in college to undergraduate students to see if they're going to go further in the sciences. But quantum physics, you know, uh, the physicists today suspect whether or not consciousness influences the mechanics of how we think or how we solve issues. And that arises because quantum theory might need to be added into it to understand exactly how the brain works. Now, there was a article that was published by Tegel to see if the brain is actually a holographic machine that um, actually exists in a holographic universe. I kid you not. And this was actually done by a Stanford brain researcher, a quantum physicist. Um, what was his name? Uh, Pritam, Kyle Pritam. And he was always wondering about the question if memories were stored in the brains, like I told you, did they have special locations in the brain? And he was trying to figure out where memories are stored, but they're not. They're in the DNA. This is, nobody knows. I'm telling you they have to be. Because if the brain is holographic, then the memories um, uh, are not preserved in any particular part of the brain. You see what I'm saying? So if your memories are indeed, you know, stored in your brain, then if your mind, your consciousness is like a holographic, like, you know, energy or let's get to the fruity side where people are like aura and stuff, then it can't be stored in a certain part of the brain. You can't have both, Right. So it's not like books that you like pick up off a shelf and you read, oh, this is a memory because it has to be throughout your whole body because think about it, guys, your nose is the one that inhales that apple pie when you walk by and it triggers something. So that triggers it from where your olfactories, which is by the way, the only hyperextension of your brain. Did you know that? Did you know that the only actual brain exposure we have outside of our, you know, actual skull sits at the roof of our mouth, like it's the olfactory. So that's why when you drink a cold drink, you know, you get a brain freeze. You're supposed to put your tongue to the roof of your mouth because it's actually exposed brain, like no joke. Um, and it sits on top of that. But anyway, the brain as whole, um, 
you know, as people are investigating it, there's a physicist, uh, Fisher, who works with um, Quantum Brain Project at KU. Uh, it's at, uh, it's um, at the University of California, actually, in Santa Barbara. And they're trying to find out if the brain is a computer. And he does tons of experiments. They do tons of tests. And Fisher has figured out that there's a precise and unique set of bio components that give a mechanism that provide the basis for quantum processing of a computer, which, you know, he got, uh, I think he got something like $2 billion from the Simons uh, Foundation to f- do the brain collaboration at USSB and, um, you know, tons of scientists from quantum physics, molecular biology, biochemistry, uh, you know, behavioral neuroscience. It's trying to, to find experimental evidence to answer whether in fact quantum computers or quantum processes exist in the brain. So, huh? So think about it this way. We have Alice, right? You guys know what Alice is or Eliza. Have you ever heard of that? Um, so Eliza was a, a program where you would actually train Eliza by talking with Eliza. And um, Alice stands for Artificial Linguistic Internet Computer Entity. That's how they use uh, things to block things on the internet. Like right now, there's a few people on Facebook. I can't DM on Twitter. I can't DM. I tried to post an article from Greece today where a priest came out and said that, you know, this coronavirus, this plague that we're facing is because of all the sins that we've done, the abortions we've done. And this is a metropolitan from, you know, that's ahead of a church, you know, of the Greek church. And it was banned like instantly when I put it out there and I said, yep, kind of agree. You know, uh, Facebook gave me the notification it's banned and I clicked to see more information and there was no information. Pretty interesting. So artificial intelligent markup language is what is being used. It's a supposedly free, um, it's a free software type. It's a free programming language, you would say, where people could create chatbots. So every time you get on a computer and you're talking to, I don't know, Amazon or whatever, those are chatbots. They learn. So they learn from every time you put it in. And if you listen to my shows from New Year's Day and New Year's Eve, I warned you that your digital profile is the most important thing you have because I may know you, you and me may hang out. We could have sleepovers together. We could eat, cook together, play games together, philosophize together. But the only person that really knows you is your digital profile collector. And that is, I, they know you better than you know yourself from what you search, from what you like, from what you look at, the videos you see. And you know, ID 2020 that I mentioned a couple weeks ago is coming to the forefront because if you see that ID 2020, the only thing it focuses on is what your digital profile and the fact now that we're under supposed quarantine, right? I think we're under complete martial law because there's no presidential seal on the podium. And even though it hasn't been declared with the national guard, I mean, your police have tanks, bombs and everything. So same thing, but this is like a kind of quasi martial law, but think about it. If we start have to relying on our digital profile, just like, you know, little Rubio said, which is true. If someone wants to destroy you, they'll just put out information that they fancy just because they're evil and disgusting. Or it could just be manufactured to just discredit you, make you look bad, because this is how malicious, how malicious of a side human beings have. So let's move it over to the fact is, how do you know 
what is artificial intelligence and what isn't. How would you know? Do you think that you're going to see the Sophia robot, you know, that robot that talks and emotes emotion? How do you know that, you know, the quantum computer you have in your brain, that there's not humans walking around right now that have been programmed? You don't know that. That's the thing. You don't know that. And the human brain is a quantum computer. I'm going to play a little clip from years ago. Um, and this will be pretty interesting. Uh, they're actually quite nice the way they put it together. I don't agree with all of it, but it's kind of there. And, you know, this comes from the fact that, you know, um, I just want you guys to know this, that when people are on acid, your brain can actually hallucinate conscious reality. This is something that has been proven and, you know, it makes you wonder why um, you know, some people that hallucinate to that point just decide, yep, I'm over. This world is horrible. It's evil. You know, because if you knew the type of evil that actually exists while you're in your box of a life where you're working to pay bills because you've been enslaved by debt, the minute you give birth to a kid, it's got 70 grand debt, boom, right on its head from birth. You got to follow rules. You got to have a number, your number. Yeah, you're tagged like a hog, your number, your social security number. You're working, 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 and you're, you're, you're happy and content with it because they tell you that is what the goal is, is to have your job, the white picket fence and 2.5 kids. Well, now they're telling us not to have any kids and <laughs> not buy a house at all and just wait for the government to tell you what to do. But Listen to this short clip where it explains to you how your brain is a quantum computer. The most bizarre, the most absurd, the most crazy, the most ridiculous prediction that quantum mechanics makes is entanglement. Entanglement is a theoretical prediction that comes from the equations of quantum mechanics. Two particles can become entangled if they're close together and their properties become linked. Remarkably, quantum mechanics says that even if you separated those particles, sending them in opposite directions, they could remain entangled, inextricably connected. To understand how profoundly weird this is, consider a property of electrons called spin. Unlike a spinning top, an electron spin, as with other quantum qualities, is generally completely fuzzy and uncertain until the moment you measure it. And when you do, you'll find it's either spinning clockwise or counterclockwise. It's kind of like this wheel. When it stops turning, it will randomly land on either red or blue. Now imagine a second wheel. If these two wheels behave like two entangled electrons, then every time one landed red, the other is guaranteed to land on blue. And vice versa. Now, since the wheels are not connected, that's suspicious enough. But the quantum mechanics embraced by Niels Bohr and his colleagues went even further predicting that if one of the pair were far away, even on the moon, with no wires or transmitters connecting them, still, if you look at one and find red, the other is sure to be blue. In other words, if you measured a particle here, 
not only would you affect it, but your measurement would also affect its entangled partner, no matter how distant. For Einstein, that kind of weird long-range connection between spinning wheels or particles was so ludicrous, he called it spooky. Spooky action at a distance. When you have one particle here and one particle there, and they are separated enough that there is no signal able to allow them to communicate, and they still seem to be talking to each other, then is a big mystery. What's surprising is that when you make a measurement of one particle, you affect the state of the other particle. You change its state. There's no forces or pulleys or, you know, telephone wires. There's nothing connecting those things, right? How could my choice to act here have anything to do with what happens over there? So there's no way they can communicate with each other. So it is completely bizarre. And now these aren't the aliens, you know, but aliens. These are all Harvard, MIT, big scholars, physicists talking, right? So let's stop it right there and take that for a second. So this is string theory. You pluck the string here, it pops there, right? Cause and effect, right? Basic laws of science. Cause and effect. So when you think of what is to come, you have to see cause and effect, so let's look at the coronavirus outrage, how upset they are when they're like, what do you mean Trump is doing a good job? He's doing a horrible job. Click and they take him off of CNN. Oh, my gosh. Coronavirus. Everyone's dying. 350 million people. We got 61 dead and half of them are from Washington, but we're all going to die. So they're installing fear into some idiot watching CNN drooling on their couch with popcorn spilled over, right? That is also affecting the person that comes to their door when they're met with a gas mask, affecting the next one, the next one, the next. And then you have fear perpetuating everywhere. Do you see how communication works? It's the same way that math works. It's the same way that entanglement works or spooky connection. Have you ever felt mm, that, I don't know, oh, I just have that gut feeling that so-and-so isn't okay, or, you know, someone gets hurt and you automatically hurt, right? And you're just like, yeah, these are just things, you know, spiritual things. Well, what if there's science behind it? Do you see what I'm trying to say? What if everything's connected? That is what mathematicians try to solve with string theory. Same thing with time travel. You can't go backwards, but you need the backwards in order to go forward. So you need the past to prove the future because your future is constantly changing because you can't predict all the choices someone will make. So let's pretend, let's take, let's shift a little bit gears, right? And let's pretend we take into account, I don't know, <laughs> see, my mind is blank now. Um, let's take into effect, um, into account huh, one of those movies where they have like little kids and they're training them from a young age to do like telekinesis. And you've seen those movies before, you know, the ones that they, where they have them in the, these nice little padded cells, but they never let them out. They're high quarantine because if they get out, they could screw everybody, right? Well, what if, what if, and this is a big what if, what if there were people that were programmed like quantum computers? What if this technology already exists? What if there are quantum computers out there that are doing these things and they can tell you things and predict things? Just saying, hypothetically speaking. Does that sound too far-fetched? Not really, right? Because the science tells us that it's there. 
But, you know, talking heads will tell you it's not there. You must listen to them and nobody else. Point is, math, as I've said before, is the core language of everything. Math, if for those of you that are subscribers, heard my little math series, love the feedback, and we'll do more of those. I think my deep fake that touches on, you know, spooky connection uh, helped. The reason that I say deep fake touches on spooky connection is because while we see deep fakes, the connection is there. I, this is where I introduce that. Deep fake is scary. You might see Joe Biden do great in his speeches now because it's not really Joe Biden. Because Joe Biden, if you did a bedside test, I've said this before, like nurses do. They're like, you know, they see your bracelet and they're like, can you tell me your name, your date of birth, where you are? He can't answer those questions. Okay, he can't. He doesn't even know what he's running for. Bernie Sanders, not far behind. It was like dementia via osmosis. Like he didn't even remember, you know, he called the, the coronavirus Ebola. Right. When I already told you guys, it's another version of SARS, but I digress. So what I want you guys to remember is what if there are these quantum computer people? Let me take it this way. Do you guys remember who was arrested and thrown into one of those black site prisons really quickly for supposedly uh, violating uh, SEC, uh, you know, laws, you know, securities fraud and all that for something minuscule? I'll remind you. It was the guy that rose the price super high of a specific retroviral drug that people are using for HIV. And the reason he's the pharma dude, do you guys remember how all your right and left talking heads were throwing Martin Shkreli under the bus? This little genius Albanian guy who's made trillions of dollars and now sitting in jail where he took this drug because the patent popped and no one knew about it and talked about it and said, we're going to need this. This is a retroviral. It's about an HIV drug that nobody can get except for very few select people. But was it HIV? If you read my article in regards to uh, Cunningham, there's a whistleblower report out before he killed himself with crystals in his pocket. Right? He had some crystals in his pocket face down in a river and they find him face down in a river. Remember Navy, right? So he knows how to swim and he's part of the intelligence group of epidemiology. You know, the secret stuff, the bio warfare stuff puts out a whistleblower report at the beginning of February and suddenly he's running around to family telling him, delete my stuff. You didn't hear me. Does it? And then disappears for two weeks and he's dead. And then all the other people that were part of the national security epidemiology team kind of got fired. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, Trump fired the team and never replacement. Um, did they get fired or is it because of the whistleblower report? See, nobody asked these questions again. This is quantum mechanics at its finest because what they're doing, the media is doing, and this is the infodemic that the WHO and Facebook and Twitter are going to tell you what's real and what's not. You must listen to them because they know, right? They know, right? You don't know. You're too stupid to know. 
right? You can't tell what's true and what's false. You need to listen to Brian Stetler that's sitting on CNN that has a piece of paper in front of him and talks about what he's told to talk about. And what he talks about sounds like what they're talking about on NBC, sounds like what they're talking about on CBS, sounds like what the New York Times is writing about, sounds like what the Washington Post is writing about. So it kind of seems like they're all coming from the same source. Anyone else that says anything else must indeed be locked up just like Martin Shkreli. Now, if you remember, Martin Shkreli was out on bail for supposedly doing this because they were pissed that he brought attention to this special drug. How dare he pull out a drug that can kill viruses that we're using for AIDS and for our people that get sick? How dare he? So what did he do? Remember what he did? (laughs) Right. He did that stream where he said, hey, if somebody gets me a piece of Hillary's hair, I could tell you what version of Hillary it is or if she's who she says she is. And boom, thrown into jail, thrown into jail for pennies. He could have paid a fine and walked because it was all discrepancies and whatever. Yet Theranos, you know, that chick that ran that company that Mad Dog Mattis and Kissinger were all on the board of completely defrauded everyone saying that she was creating a test from one drop of blood to find your disease when she was actually finding ways to replicate um, different versions of a specific molecule or compound. So methamphetamine, adrenaline, adrenochrome. What is the difference? I'll tell you what. The difference is the base that they combine in. Did you know that if you have methamphetamine and epinephrine at the same time, you get a bootleg version of adenochrome? Actually, it's a higher form and more potent but short-lived adrenochrome. Oh, what? Oh, maybe this is why they're having all these meth parties. But you know, that is science fiction. I mean, I didn't see CNN talking about Andrew Gillum's, you know, uh, orgy party with meth and a dead male prostitute with blood and all this stuff everywhere. No, no, no. Instead, you see them say, well, you know, there were three people in that room and the drugs were on the floor and the dead guy was somewhere else. So how do you know who did it? Are you kidding? Is this where we're at? This is how dumb people are? No, but this is how dumb they think you are because you have been conditioned as such to be more responsive to this spooky connection. And the minute you move it, you get to see things differently. Yes, there is something called reality hacking. And this is exactly what they do. They hack your reality to make it one reality. And you know who set that off? Yesterday, Marco Rubio. I saw him tweet out a tweet about martial law. He spelled it wrong. How can a guy like Marco Little Rubio, that little snake... Spell it wrong. He didn't. Misspellings are always very, very important. And what version did he speak? Oh, like marshalling sheep into the pen? Oh, let's get it on and do it? That's what you have to look at. They're using your quantum computer of a brain that hasn't been programmed to do anything specifically to think the way they want you to. And they have done so by hyperexposure through advertisements, print, sound, audio, visual. This is why sometimes when you're hanging around someone, like I saw I was hanging around with a friend of mine that says, blah, blah, blah. And I caught myself saying, blah, blah, blah. And when I don't usually say, blah, blah, blah. 
And why? It's because it's an influential sphere that you're in and then you get influenced and programmed to sync with your, uh, you know, with your immediate sphere. So these are things you see, like, uh, you know, I use words like bizarre or strange and <laughs> a lot of people find that strange, but when they're around me, they'll say things like strange or bizarre, you know, uh, because I use other words, um, you know, depiction, show me. There's a reason that I'm telling you this because the only way to spark and, you know, reboot that those six inches between your ears to be able to identify things as they are in their reality is difficult, but not impossible. And so while everyone is throwing panic at you, the questions you should have is why am I in panic? The person in charge is obviously not panicking. I shouldn't have to. Quantum computers are telling me not to panic. I shouldn't have to funny thing about quantum computing and artificial intelligence, which are one in the same when people are talking about it. Have you looked at Google site about coronavirus? Yeah. They're using quantum computers in order to analyze data. What kind of data are they really analyzing is the question you should ask yourself. So when the president repeatedly during a speech says, don't go get tested if you don't have the symptoms, it's not for us to minimize the darn test kits that we really don't need because maybe the majority of us will actually pop positive because we've been exposed to it at some point from August until now, because this has been a flu or, you know, a version of the flu that has struck us, but it's more than that. So, for what's to come in the next 48 hours, I want you guys to keep that in mind, to keep in mind that it's not always what it seems and that you really do have a supercomputer right there between your ears. You just need to access it more. I hope that helps because quantum physics is not something easy to grab onto. I'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless from all of us here at Red State.